the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello, this is Dr. Adrian Torres. I'm here today with Truth in My Days director John Torres for a discussion about another important topic. John, I have heard that Dr. Bart Armin is perhaps the most influential liberal scholar today, trying to undermine the case for Christianity. I would say so. Yes. I have heard that he actually used to be an evangelical. According to his own testimony, that is the case. What's happened to him? He gives a brief explanation of the path he took in his best-selling book from the year 2005, called "Misquoting Jesus: The Story Behind Who Changed the Bible and Why." He says that when he was a sophomore in high school, he started attending meetings of a Campus Life Youth for Christ club, where he heard the gospel and eventually came to accept the message of salvation, asked Jesus into his heart, and had a bona fide born again experience. He wanted to be serious about his faith and ended up going to Moody Bible Institute, where he completed a three-year diploma program. While there, he became troubled by the fact that we don't have the original manuscripts of the Bible; we just have copies of copies of copies. Well, he wanted to go on to further education, whereupon he made a cardinal mistake that eventually proved fatal. He put it this way in his book: "Quote: I had done well in my courses and was more serious than ever about becoming a Christian scholar." My idea at the time was that there were plenty of highly educated scholars among the evangelical Christians, but not many evangelicals among the secular, highly educated scholars. So I wanted to become an evangelical voice in secular circles by getting degrees that would allow me to teach in secular settings while retaining my evangelical commitments. So Armin went to Wheaton College to finish his bachelor's degree, where he studied Greek. He remained troubled about the fact that we don't have the original manuscripts of the Bible, and it also occurred to him that Christians can't really understand the Bible. He thought if they don't know Koine Greek and Hebrew. In his book, he writes this quote: "I came to see early on." That the full meaning and nuance of the Greek text of the New Testament could be grasped only when it is read and studied in the original language. The same applies to the Old Testament, as I later learned when I acquired Hebrew. This started making me question my understanding of Scripture as the verbally inspired Word of God. If the full meaning of the words of Scripture can be grasped only by studying them in Greek and Hebrew, Doesn't this mean that most Christians who don't read ancient languages will never have complete access to what God wants them to know? Do you think that could be a problem? I don't think so. I think Armin was creating a problem for himself where there isn't one. First, the reality is that the human race worldwide speaks thousands of different languages. God arranged it that way; He knows it. But that's the reality, which means that most people will have to read the Bible in translation, and that applies to any written work. The number two, as I said, God knows this; He arranged it when He scattered the tongues of the peoples at the Tower of Babel. 
the question then is, is God able to breathe his word in the Bible in such a way, using things like built-in repetition, that everything you want to know that you need to know about what God has to say can be learned from a good translation? And I would say yes. The third point here is that translation is really not so difficult. I think anyone who is fluently bilingual, who knows two languages really well, in my case, my mother tongue is Hungarian and I'm fluent in English, knows that you can translate even nuances. You can pretty much say whatever you want in one language and then essentially say the very same thing in the other language. It's not quite as tricky as people think. And fourth, if you really want to learn the ancient languages, uh, you can do so. Truth In My Days actually does offer classes in New Testament Koine Greek. So are you saying what Armin saw as a problem really isn't a problem? It really isn't. What about this concern that we don't have the original manuscripts of the New Testament and that we only have copies of copies of copies? Well, that's not a problem either, as long as the copies were carefully done. And we have enough copies and enough carefully done and enough early copies that we can put together the actual original text, which is what we need. We don't need the original manuscript. We just need to know what was in it, and we do. This whole field of doing that is a, a matter of what's called textual criticism, which we'll look at in detail in another series. Okay, so what happened to Armin next? Well, he wanted to continue studying textual criticism, and so he went to Princeton Theological Seminary, which for a long time had been a school of liberal scholarship was by no means evangelical. And ironically, Armin writes in his book, quote, once again, I was warned by my evangelical friends against going to Princeton Seminary, since, as they told me, I would have trouble finding any real Christians there, unquote. Now, it seems the friends were right, okay, because Armin did eventually abandon the faith. And once again, ironically, he writes, if learning the truth meant no longer being able to identify with the born-again Christians I knew in high school, so be it. I was intent on pursuing my quest for truth where it might take me, unquote. Now, he might think that he was pursuing truth, but it seems to me he was actually being led by the nose uh, by liberal professors with liberal presuppositions that he simply wasn't ready to oppose. And that eventually, as his friends warned him, did make shipwreck of his faith. So what was the tipping point? It began, he tells us in his book, with an apologetics issue, and specifically a supposed error in the Bible in Mark 2.26. Let's take a look at the full passage uh, going from Mark 2.23 to 26. Can you read that for us? Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the shewbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. 
So there's the supposed error where Jesus said that David went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread. Now, if you look up that event in the Old Testament, you'll find it in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. You will see that the high priest at the time was Ahimelech, not Abiathar. Abiathar, in fact, was the son of Ahimelech, and he became high priest very soon after this event because Saul had Ahimelech and most of his family murdered because he thought they'd help David. So prima facie, this seems to be an error. How did this lead to Amon's fall? Well, he wrote a final term paper in one of his courses on this supposed error to show that it was not actually an error. He writes this, quote, I developed a long and complicated argument to the effect that even though Mark indicates this happened when Abiathar was the high priest, it doesn't really mean that Abiathar was the high priest, but that the event took place in the part of the scriptural text that has Abiathar as one of the main characters. My argument was based on the meaning of the Greek words involved and was a bit convoluted, unquote. Now, he expected that his professor would appreciate his work, but instead, the professor just commented, wrote a comment on his paper saying, maybe Mark just made a mistake. And Armand says he thought about this comment, and then he thought about what he'd written, and he decided that he himself had had to do some what he calls pretty fancy exegetical footwork to get around the problem, and then he thought that his solution was a bit of a stretch. And then, quote, I finally concluded, hmm, maybe Mark did make a mistake. Once I made that admission, the floodgates opened, quote. So Armand began to think that the Bible could, in fact, be full of errors. And that returned him to his concern about the fact that we don't have the original manuscripts. And that was the beginning of the end for him. Well, I understand this frustration. However, how do you explain that mistake that he found in Mark? Well, we will look at that. But I should say at this point that Jesus has proven himself through fulfilling ancient prophecies, working amazing miracles, and rising from the dead. And these things, as we've shown in other programs, can be shown to be true even without assuming the Bible is inerrant. If we treat the gospel books simply as historical documents, which they certainly are, these things about Jesus are true, which means he is who he said he is. And the idea of throwing away Christianity because you think you found an error, some little detail error in the text, I don't think it's an error. But to throw away Christianity over that is very foolish, doesn't even begin to describe it. But maybe he didn't throw away Christianity over that. Perhaps then after that, he saw many supposed errors in the Bible. Could that be? Well, he came to think that there might be other errors. He was still hung up on this issue that we don't have the original manuscripts. And then he tells us that uh, he also had a problem with the issue of theodicy. In other words, why do bad things happen in the world? Uh, but none of these change the fact that Jesus fulfilled ancient prophecies, worked amazing miracles, and rose from the dead, so he is who he said he was. We may have to struggle with some of these issues to come to an understanding of it. 
But the truth about Jesus remains standing, and none of the things that Armin raised can possibly overthrow that. So it is, it is very sad that he went that route. And as we've shown before, the Bible is the word of God, and so it deserves the benefit of a doubt. I would think that even if his solution was a bit of a stretch, as long as it's viable, there's no reason he should have accepted his professor's suggestion that maybe Mark made an error. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.